All right, welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Uh, first episode of 2022, Buckets. How are you, mate? Yeah, going very well. It's uh, been a, I'm back at work for, for a week now, so getting back into the real world. And the weather down here has been absolutely uh, tumultuous. We went from about four to five days of 35 plus to then about three days of torrential rain. So oh, just giving us, giving us all sorts over the last sort of 10 days. But uh uh, good to get into 2022 and uh, see what happens with this Australian Open. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, the drama, the dramas of the Open. How has the uh, yeah. has the grass going in the in the weather? It yeah, it's, it's holding up, holding up. Okay, got a couple of sort of hot spots that are uh, going a bit yellow, but I've uh, got a bit of wetting agent on them during the week and sort those out. So just got to keep the water up to it. The rain did it did it wonders. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Well, the NBA has been rolling on like it always does, uh, although a lot of teams are full of guys that no one knows who they are. <laughs> it's just the, the <laughs> yes, way that a lot of 10-day contracts. At the moment, um, I think they're up to nearly 100 now, 10-day contracts across the league, which is just insane. Wow. <laughs> of course, it's breaking records because it's unprecedented. Like This hasn't happened like this before. So, um, But they're, they're keeping on going, so it's... Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, how much longer this goes. How good, uh, how good are some of the stories that are coming out of born, born ready back in Indiana? How can someone just come into the league and drop twenty in the first quarter and on ten day contract? Yeah, well, I think there's, I think there's, I read there's four guys now who have come in on ten days and end up signing for the rest of the year. So like, yeah. not a bad. Like they've, in. They've, they've literally waived a full time player or a two way player on their roster to bring in somebody who just balled out in the ten day. So watch out, born ready could be. He'll be back blowing at LeBron in no time. Like, <laughs> well, that's right. He had, he had a career high fourteen assists today, so he's doing it in all parts of the game. He did. Strumming that guitar. Oh, born ready. What a what a nickname <laughs> and what a man. Strumming yeah. the guitar. I love it. <laughs> We've got a few good topics to, to discuss in this one. I wanted I wanted to start. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the, the Bulls and Lakers and, and dive into them a little bit more, um, which which you and I will be happy about because they're our teams. The listeners could just have to put yes. up with it. Um, but, <laughs> but the Bulls are actually good, so it's worthwhile talking about them for a change. Um, but I want to talk about the Grizzlies and just get your view on on a few things. So I did a bit of digging uh, into the Memphis Grizzlies, who currently sit fourth in the West. Uh, they're 27 and 14. Um, they've won their last eight games. Um, and... I'll come to you with a few questions in a minute, but just wanted to, to run off a few things. Um, one thing I, I, I think is pretty much known now around the league is how good Jar Morant is. <laughs> um, and he, he always had that sort of Derek Rose, uh, 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 prime Derek Rose ability to get to the rim. But he's now out of the three ball, which is something that, that Derek never really did in his career. Um, in the last 10 games, he's shooting 48% from deep on four and a half attempts a game. So he's, Basically unstoppable because the teams used to sag off him and go under screens because they were like, he can get to the ring as good as anybody. Um, but when he's shooting like that, it's sort of, what do you do? Like pick your poison. Like he's just been absolutely killing it. Um, so he's been, he's been unreal. Um, and then they've got Desmond Bain, who's in his second year. He's gone from nine points in his first year to 17 and a half points in his second. Like that sort of most improved player type jump, like that sort of eight to 10 point range is is right up there. Um, and he's shooting 47, 54, and 90 over the last 10 games. So nearly 50, 40, 90, um, just, just under with that 47% from the from the field. And then Jaron Jackson Jr., who's been in and out of the lineup 
uh, injured and he's sort of um, uh, sort of a bit inconsistent. Uh, but he's only 22 and he's a guy who I really liked coming into the league because he was um, sort of in that range that the Bulls were picking. So I sort of deep dive into the sort of the guys around where, where the Bulls are picking. And I thought this is Jaron Jackson Jr. guy can play. He can shoot threes. He can also sort of get down low. Um, so he's at 22 with his sort of skill set. He does have that sort of borderline all-star potential. Um, six in, in offense in the league. Um, over the course of the year, 11th in defense, but over the past 10 games, eight of which they've won, they're third in defense. Um, and Jar's come back, I think, within that within that period as well, um, because he was out with what we thought was going to be a long term injury, and it only ended up being you know a handful of games, which is the best news ever. So I, they're just they're, they're, you know, and I, I sort of I haven't I must admit I haven't really watched them a lot, but I've watched a couple of games recently. They're the kind of team who. Don't have, I mean, aside from Jar, who think about where you'd put Jar, I guess, in the top 10, 15, 20, 30 players in the league, wherever he sits. The rest of the guys are those sort of guys who are just stars at their role. Like they, they've just, they're a good team to watch because everyone knows exactly what they're to do and they don't go outside of that or try to be sort of more than they are, um, which is with egos and everything in the NBA, as we know, it's quite rare. Um, but, they're fourth at 27 and 14 in the West. I think that's a massive overachievement of where everyone would have had Memphis at the start of the year. I mean, they've sort of been a fringe playoff team the last few years, um, playing planes and things like that. Is this sustainable? Is this who Memphis are? Is it because of COVID? Is it, what do you think's going on with the Memphis Grizzlies? Well, it, that's the hard thing to answer, isn't it? Because you're right. They were a, they were four games above 500 after last year. So they were an eighth seed in the play-in tournament. To go from that to now sitting fourth in the Western Conference is a huge jump um, to this point in the season. There are a lot of unanswered questions because is it a COVID thing? Because it's it's so, as much as we dive into the NBA, it's very hard to keep up with you know, who's in protocol with this team and for that team and all that sort of thing. So you don't yep. know how affected they are, which players are affected. We also don't know the severity of certain guys that get it. You know, some, you know, asymptomatic, it doesn't affect them at all. Their conditioning stays fine. The next game, they're back to normal, uh, like guys like Kevin Durant. Other guys, they might get struck down and they could be as sick as a dog and it takes them, you know, a month to get their conditioning back. So I think that's certainly a part of, because I don't think anyone would have picked them to be going this well, this far into the season. And a guy like Jar Morant, for me, there was always that that concern because of the way he plays. And, you know, we look at someone like a Derek Rose, is he going to be durable enough? You know, is he one bad injury away from going from an all-star that he's playing like now to someone who is going to have to reinvent his game because he's only known playing this ultra-athletic style of basketball? But he's proving to be far more durable than I ever thought he would be. Um, and he's certainly taken that step from being having a great rookie year um, and becoming, you know, those potential guys. Oh, this guy potentially is going to be a 10-time All-Star, potentially going to be an MVP candidate, potentially going to be this, that, and the rest. He's actually doing it. He's 
added that three-pointer, which he certainly didn't have coming into the league, which everyone wants to everyone says, oh, if they can add a jump shot, they'll be this. If they can add this, they'll be that. He's done it and he's doing it over a long period of time that you think, okay, he's not just on a hot streak with the three-point shooting. This looks like something that he has worked on and it's going to be part of his game, which, as you say, makes him very difficult to stop when he's got that game going to the basket. He, d- he does try to put everyone on a poster, so that's a part of his game to be a bit more efficient in terms of some of the plays he goes for. Yeah. You know, once he gets onto better teams and they're actually competing, you know, at the top of conferences in playoff games, you can't afford to have empty possessions where you've tried to dunk on someone from the free throw line. But as a fan, you'd love to see it. So that's just a young guy doing that sort of thing. But to me, I'm very surprised at how quickly he's been able to add that three-point shot, given where he started as a rookie. And I feel a bit sorry for Zion because there's obviously he's going through some things, obviously, with his weight and the injuries and, you know, the franchise there in New Orleans. But the talk about, you know, who should you have taken in that draft is just going to continue to get louder and louder the better the jar plays. So that's always a difficult one when you can't do anything about it when you're sitting on the sidelines and the guy that was taken is playing so well. Um, you know, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. You prefer it to be like the Trey Lucas story where both are having very productive careers and both teams feel like they won that trade. It's difficult when one side becomes very skewed. You hope it doesn't become a, a Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan type situation. Oh man, that would be rough. <laughs> That'd be rough. So, would you? I think we spoke maybe even at the start of this season about you know how there's there's tiers in the NBA, as in there's the contenders, there's sort of that next group, there's the up and comers tier, there's all those sorts of things. Where does Memphis sit in the Western Conference in terms of are they a team that you know? I, I think everyone thought give them a few years because they've been sort of bottomed out and they got Jar and they got Desmond Bain, they got Jaron Jackson Jr. They got You've got Dylan Brooks. They got these guys who are talented, but is it all going to work together? Which is the question we never know about teams uh, when they're just on paper. But I think there's sort of, I don't know. My view is sort of that they've they've jumped up a little bit quicker than probably they expected. And so now are they in that tier of? I, I wouldn't put them in contenders this year, um, although being a COVID and everything else, who knows? Um, but certainly not if everyone's healthy. I wouldn't wouldn't say they're there. But are they sort of a, a second round playoff team? Is that sort of where they're sitting now or, or not quite there yet? For me, I never I never try to say that until a team has achieved something that they've gone beyond that. So to me, they're still in that up-and-coming tier. As good as they're playing, and yes, they're sitting fourth, so people say, well, they're the fourth seed. You know, I'd say they should make the second round. But until you get to a playoff series and prove yourself in a playoff series, to me, you're still up and coming. You, you don't prove anything until you prove it. So I wouldn't even put them in the tier of, say, Utah or even Portland. Or um, I would put them – I'd probably put them with Dallas in terms of Dallas have shown oh, – Let's not talk glimpses. about our, our Dallas Mavericks and how bad they've been. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even as well as Lucas played in the playoffs – it still has resulted in two first-round exits to the Clippers. So until they get over the hump and win a playoff series, then they can start to becoming, okay, well, they're a middle-of-the-range team that could compete. So for me, they're still below the Utahs and the Portlands that are able to get to the playoffs, 
but you never really think they're serious contenders for championships. So they're still below that tier there in that up and coming that they'll get to a first round. And look, they might run it off like an Atlanta did last year in the playoffs and, and have this incredible run based on just confidence of young guys or they come and the bright lights of the playoffs show that, yep, you're good, you're an all-star, but there's levels to this and you've still got a ways to go to start competing with those really good teams in the Western Conference. Would you put them, I mean, Utah sort of, uh, not Utah, um, Atlanta has gone back, backwards so far this season. Yes. Is it, would you put Memphis sort of on par with them in terms of where they are with their young talent up and coming? They've got Jar Morant, they've got Trey Young. Or do you think Atlanta's a little bit further ahead? Um, I mean, I mean, we would have thought so probably after last season, but this season hasn't been kind to Atlanta. And that's really the difficult thing with this, isn't it? Especially with young talent. Like we, we see in Philadelphia. Like if you were looking, if you were an analyst of NBA basketball, Three seasons ago, you would say, okay, Philadelphia are going to run the Eastern Conference in three years' time and jump forward three years, and they're way off it. And that's the challenge with young talent. Because as you said, the reason Memphis are where they are now is because they've got guys that are playing roles. They're being stars in their roles. And they've got Jar as your, your undoubted superstar. Well, not super, that, not say he's super, but the best player clearly on that team and everyone around yep. him knows. It. And then you've got the second guy, which is Jackson. So they understand their positions on the team. They're not fighting and jostling for shots and, and play calls and all that sort of thing. With young teams, that can change very quickly. And we've seen it in Boston too. You know, everyone talked about their talent in 2018 when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. But as guys ascend and they think, well, yeah, Tatum was the star back then, but now, well, Jalen Brown thinks he should be getting more shots and more touches because his progression and he's developed his game. That's when it all can start to get a bit messy. So you have this great season and think, okay, well, if we make the second round, then our young talent's only going to get better. So we should go to the conference finals the next year. But if that young talent starts to jostle from the position and guys stop wanting to play their role and they want to change and they want to do different things, it can implode. And we look, you see Atlanta, they don't look like an Eastern Conference Finals team. And part of that could be you've got young guys like Collins and these guys coming up thinking, well, you know, yeah, um, Trey's cool, but I want mine too and I'm getting better and I want my contract extension and my play is cool for me and things can start to get a bit messy even though your talent has risen. Yeah, and we know, as you say, particularly with young players, that's always like more likely to happen because everyone's wanting to get to their next contract, wanting to be the the next big thing. You know, as you sort of get older in your career, you sort of realise where you fit, or hopefully you do. If you, if you want to stay in the league, you realise where you fit, and you you know you, you're focused on that sort of niche area. Um, but yeah, that, have you watched any Memphis games? Only when they play the Lakers and Jar tortures us every time. They they are a fun team. Like just talk about. <laughs> fun teams to watch play basketball and fun guys to watch as you say Jar Morant because he does try and dunk on everyone and, <laughs> and he loves the up and under sort of um, reverse layups and all that sort of all that D-Rose stuff from 2011 like it's what it is it's it's so um, crazy how similar similar he is um, and then because he's out of the three-point shot he's now in that that next category of good luck like good luck um, yes and before we move on from them what We've spoken in the past about that next group coming through, that next tier of players coming through. 
where does Jar fit in that next tier? So you've got your Donovan Mitchells, your Luka Doncic's, you know, all, all of these greats that are the next lot. Is is Jar up there with those guys? Like, is is that is his heel is his ceiling being a top ten player in the league soon? So in terms of like players, like if you're ranking, okay, just based on basketball ability and and that type of thing, he's certainly going to be up there. I think he, I'd still put Luca in terms of the ceiling ahead of him. In terms of marketability, though, I think he's going to be one of those guys like a Vince Carter or a Tracy McGrady that are, is so easy to market because of the way he plays. Like, he's going to sell out stadiums. He's going to get big shoe contracts. He's going to be a bit like Kyrie Irving in terms of you would never say that they're going to win an MVP, but the kids love them and they yeah. sell millions of jerseys and they sell millions of shoes because of the way he plays and how athletic he is. He's a marketer's dream. So he's going to be Great he's point. going to be one of the faces of the league. Whether he's going to ascend to someone that's going to be top five MVP year on year, jury for me is still out on that just because he is so young and I, there is that vulnerability in terms of the way he plays. But I have no doubt he's going to make five-plus all-star games just based on popularity and, and the way he plays. And as you say, they're very fun to watch. Um, yeah, it'll be him, LaMelo Ball, um, Zion, if he gets back healthy, Luca. They're going to be on all the promotions, on all the posters, because the kids are going to just love them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's, he's got that style of game that is super attractive to watch and... And all the brands and everything are like, let's let's get this bloke, like let's get this guy to, to be the, the face of our brand because people will go out and buy whatever we tell them to buy if his you know name's on it, sort of thing. Yes, and you do. I sort of I have my fingers crossed um, that he hangs around in Memphis. Like for Memphis, a small market yeah. to have a guy like that to see so many number twelve Memphis jerseys around. I think is good for the league, but I always worry about, especially American born players they're always far more inclined to move on and, and get to a big market. But I hope he's more like a, a Giannis and, you know, can stay there and, and build something and have Memphis as a legit, you know, franchise. Yeah, that, that would be awesome because they're already talking about that. Is he going to stay? Mm. You know, he, he came back, he got booed, I think, because the team was playing really well. Then he came back and they didn't play that great and he got booed and, like, he wasn't happy. And I'm thinking, oh, come on. And there's always that... <laughs> You know, are we better off without him? And it's like, no, you're not better off without him. That is so stupid. Like, just because you won a couple of games against guys from the G League because everyone's in health and safety protocols doesn't mean that you are better off without Jarma Ranch. Like, that is just exactly. ridiculous. And when you're coming up against members without Jar, you're never playing as hard as you're coming up with Jar. No, no, there's so many variables. I hate it when people say that. It's just it's so stupid. Yeah. Like it's so and then they'll, they'll throw these numbers. Oh, when he's on the court, they're oh, this efficient gosh. and that efficient and all this. Like, okay. The on-off on stuff, yeah, give me a spell. Yeah. Because the on-off stuff also depends on who they're playing against. Who's, who's the guys on the other end of the court? It's not bench guys, it's the starters. Like It's just yes. oh, does my head in. Um, so, yeah, look, if, if any of the listeners haven't watched Memphis, go check him out and, and check out Jar because he is box offices, uh, as Stephen A likes to stay, and he certainly is. I've enjoyed watching them, and I'll try and tune in uh, for a few more games as well. Now, I want to get I want to get to the Lakers, but before we get there, question for you, um, and then I'll give my view, is the trade deadline is about a month away now. 
Um, it's, I think it's the 10th of Feb. We're at that sort of time of, of year where teams start to think about where they want to go for the remainder of the season. Um, you know, tanking teams will try and offload. I imagine you Houston's will try and offload Eric Gordon and things like that because they want to lose more. Um, and on the flip side, you'll have teams who will be buyers. You know, they got the whole buyers sellers thing to try to try to make that extra step. I don't think anybody expected the Bulls to be the number one seed in the East 35 games in. I certainly didn't. I think if anybody said they did, they're either lying or they were just silly. <laughs> um, and now they're at that. Do they do they look to to move, say, a Patrick Williams, the, the guy who was the future of the team? Do they look to move a Kobe White, um, you know, who's been red hot off the bench lately because he's a young guy, you know, for these teams who are looking for for um, to, to rebuild, um, to go all in? Or do they still sort of stay in this, we hope Pat is a star at like 21 because he's like 19, 20. We hope Kobe's a star very soon because you've only got DeRozan and Vooch probably in their primes for maybe another one, two years max because they're in the early 30s. If you were the GM of the Bulls, are you going all in? Or are you still, I don't know, on, on the fence about trying to protect the future as well as... as, well as um, and I guess it comes down to, do you believe the Bulls can win right now if they were to so, get another piece or two? So for me, if I'm putting my GM cap on, I'm, I've got a vision of the team and this is, okay, how I'm going to build it and this is how I think it's going to develop and this is the end goal and this is how we're going to get to it. And I'm not one to deviate from that when you know, unexpected things might have happened where you're better than you were, quicker than you thought you were. The question I would be asking is, A, is Patrick Williams or Kobe White, what do you think their ceiling is? You know, at their best, are they going to be better than DeMar, Vooch, um, Levine, these type of guys? If the answer is yes, then you stay the course. If you don't think they're going to be better than those guys at their best, then you probably look to entertain them. And the other thing you have to ask is, if we do go all in and we start to move these young pieces to go into win-now mode when we were in rebuild mode, is this team with Levine... So you, you, I guess you flip a coin between being Levine or Damar being your best player are they good enough to be a best player on a championship team in the NBA? If the answer is no to that, then you absolutely stay with the young core. If you believe that those guys can be a finals MVP on a championship team, then and you don't think that Williams or Kobe White are going to ascend to either higher or at least on par with those guys, then I think, yeah, take this momentum and go all in. Yeah, I... I you're, the, you're the Bulls expert. Where, where, what, what would you answer those questions to? Well, well I, think, I think what you've outlined is, is um, exactly my line of thinking. And I've seen, for example, with, with Patrick Williams, one, one of the names that gets talked about a lot um, with the Bulls is, is Jeremy Grant, going and getting him from, um, from Detroit um, because they need a four um, and they need a guy who can defend... Because they're thinking Giannis, they're thinking KD, they're thinking playoffs. Who might we yeah. come up against and who's going to defend them? Because as good as Caruso is, he's given up a lot of height on these guys. 
Yeah. Um, and the second thing is that Vooch isn't a rim protector. So the offensive end, I'm not worried about it at all because we've got guys who can fill it up like nothing else. But the defense is still a bit like, I don't know, I think come playoffs when the game slows down, it would concern me a little bit more. So there's talk about him. There's talk about Harrison Barnes, the three and D sort of guy getting him out of Sacramento. Um, let's talk about Miles Turner, if somehow you can get him out of Indiana. Um, and Patrick Williams and Kobe White are always the two names as as part of the package with you know a, a pick or whatever to, to sort of get it done. So I've been thinking, if, is, is Pat, can Patrick Williams, like the best version of Patrick Williams, is he better than Jeremy Grant? Um, and like if Patrick Williams was at his best in Detroit with a team like Jeremy Grant's got and he's averaging 20 and, I don't know, 25 and four or something, is that as good as he could be? I'd probably take that if someone said, this is what you can get out of Pat. Like I'd probably take that. Um, so in that case, it's like, do you swing for the fences now? But I think the more interesting point is the one that you just raised of is, is the, the, the best players on the team enough. Um, and that, that's, that's a tough one to answer. I think that's a, that's a really tough one to answer um, because I'm, I'm thinking about Brooklyn and I'm thinking about Milwaukee, um, Miami, if they can sort of just get healthy and, you know, get all their players playing and, and the sorts of guys that, and the matchups and things like that. And to be honest, Milwaukee seriously concerns me because I'm just like, who the, what the heck are we going to do with Giannis? But no rim protection, which is terrible against Giannis because he can get to the rims because anyone. Um, and who's going to sort of be able to pester him sort of outside as well. Uh, KD as well, but to a bit of a lesser extent because he doesn't sort of attack the rim the way that Giannis does. So yeah, so it's a really interesting one. It, uh, people are either very yes or very no. There's not many fence sitters. But it's, it's going to be, a, I think it's a fascinating question for the Bulls because they are further along the lines than they thought they would be. They're further along the lines than, well, maybe not them, but everybody else thought they weren't going to be this good. So it's, I think coming up to the deadline, this next three weeks is going to be really, really, three, four weeks, going to be really interesting to see which direction they go because you are sort of going, do we go all for it now? There's COVID, there's other things in, in play. Kyrie may or may not be available the whole time. Does that increase our chances? You know, Brooke Lopez, no one knows what's going on with him and his injury. He's going to be out for a bit. Um, yeah, there's sort of all these variables that you've got to got to um, sort of fly around in your head. Um, but then the, the, the other thing that I read the other day, which, is, which was so true, is at some point in time, you've got to go for it. You know, this, this team has, has been pretty ordinary since Jordan retired. They had a very small window with Derek Rose, did his ACL, I guess, when they were still ascending, which was just disastrous because then you build to that moment and then it all comes crashing down. And since then, you've been no good. So it's like, you know, what, at what point in time is this, does Jerry rise off to say, I'm happy to pay luxury tax. Let's just get whoever we need to get and go for it. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not every day you're in a position where you've, Quite, you know, nearly halfway through the season and you're the number one seed and uh, albeit there's variables in that but um, yeah I think if it were me I'd go all in and I'm, I'm just probably an overconfident Bulls fan um, but I just think the offense will be fine if we can just really get some better D um, and Kobe I think is the one that I'm less wanting to give because you need depth and Kobe's the kind of guy who I think could win a playoff game for you or even a finals game for you just because he'll come out and hit, you know, he's just a microwave. He's a Lou Will, Jamal Crawford type of guy, you know, who would just come on and just get buckets. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's gonna be. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. And look, I'm not going to be disappointed if we don't, because I think we're in a good position. We sort of see how it plays out, as you said. If they they may have in their head, not this is our plan. We're going to stick with it. Um, Pat Williams was the first guy this management regime drafted, so is that they also believe in him? I guess more than you know. You know when it's like the previous manager. Sometimes you're like, I don't care. I'm not tied to anyone. Um, he was sort of the first guy they drafted, so maybe they they do want to keep him. He he might even be back like later in the year from his from his wrist uh, surgery as well. So do you just go, hey, let's see when he comes back. Maybe he is that guy who can who can help us. I don't know. It's I'm blabbering now, but it's uh <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating four weeks. Um, and also to see what other teams do in that who who else is buyers and who else is sellers. Um, you know, Portland. Look at them. The hell are they going to do with? This Dame and and CJ McCollum and they're nowhere near where they thought they would be. Are they going to clean house? You know what's Philly going to do with Ben? We're getting up to the deadline. They're going to keep him through the deadline. You know we're getting to that really interesting part of the season where you see where, where what teams want to go for it, which ones are happy to sell tickets and be a playoff team that's but not really a contender, and then which ones are like just get me to lose so I can increase those lottery odds. Houston. That's right. Do you, before we move from the Bulls, do you think there's a risk? Because generally what happens in team sport when a team overachieves, there's two main drivers usually in it. It's either you've got a playing group that players have developed quicker or higher than expected. So either someone's come on, like we talked about John Moran, he's probably come on quicker than we thought. We thought he had potential or guys that we didn't think we're going to be more than sort of an eighth guy on a team has now become, you know, a 15 to 20 point scorer. Or the other reason is a group galvanizes together and they all push towards one common goal. So they end up achieving far more as a collective than they ever would as just individual pieces. Is there a risk if that's the case in Chicago that bringing in more talented guys doesn't necessarily equal greater results because you break up that unity that may have formed in that group, which has propelled them to a 26 and 10 star. 100%, 100%, because I think that, that ladder, that th- this team is one of those, those rare teams, particularly I think in the NBA, where it seriously seems like everyone loves playing with each other. And everyone gets excited for each other's success. And everyone's like, yeah, the old cliche, it's just about winning, but they actually play that way. Like I'm willing to sacrifice. Like I really worried. And I think everyone did about what the hell is Levine going to do, giving the ball up to DeMar? Is he going to be happy with that? Like he's, you know, a guy who's sort of always had, well, been perceived as a bit of an empty stats sort of guy because he's never been in the playoffs. He's never been a winning player. And he was just like, here you go, Demar. Like, take us. Like, if you've got it, take us. And Demar's like, if Zach's got it, take us. Like, they've sort of got that, and everyone else just sort of falls underneath that. Um, so I, I, that definitely is concerning. Um, but I, I just think if we're, if you decide, I want to go for it right now, I'm not sure the team as it currently is is enough. So I guess that's that's the real question because then, then you've just got to take the risk. I think. Yeah. Um, and there's also the debate of. of you know, people on Twitter and things like that, or the Bulls fans are like, would you take a um, a, a Kawhi in Toronto situation 
would you get a ring and then and then fall again? Would you would you be happy to have one say this year and then be no good for another? You know, there's there's all those sorts of things that play into your head to go. Do we go all in for it, just all out of whack for this one thing, and then worry about the rest later? Um, which obviously has a lot of risks. Or do you try to try to build sustained success and do a bit of a golden state, or like you know, what's which is the direction you go? And I think the next four weeks for this year will be really telling to see what the Bulls do um, because there's definitely a roster that's very tight. Um, a bit like Toronto, I think um, not, you know, everyone was like, oh, Toronto just seems like such a fun place to play. This team just seems fun to play with because they all genuinely want to see each other succeed. So it's going to be, it's going to be really, really, really interesting, I think. Um, and I'm excited to see which way this, this new management regime who have only done good things since they've come in, which way they uh, they steer the ship um, here. And as I said, I don't think there's a necessarily a wrong decision from me because it's either them believing we can go for it now or them going, nah, let's stick with it and, and sort of um, continue along the, the path that we have. And hey, a second round, maybe even a conference finals, if things fall our way this year would be great. And then we're just trying to build on that next year. You know, that, that could also be the direction you take. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting times, interesting times in, in Chi-Town. Going across the country to the Lakers, to your Lakers, um, how's, how's things in Lakerland as a, uh, as a LeBron fan and so therefore current Lakers fan, <laughs> how's things in Lakerland yes. since, we, since we spoke a couple uh, of weeks ago? <laughs> look, they're better. They are better. Uh, things are tracking. And I think we spoke, oh, it's probably a month ago now on the pod, like what do they do if things are still the same at Christmas or, or the turn of the calendar? Um, and I sort of said, look, if things were going the way they were back then and they weren't tracking in the right direction, if they were still around 500 and there didn't seem to be, you know, growth, then it was time to really make some significant change. And I feel like in the last week, week and a bit, things are trending in the right direction. Now, I know they're playing bad teams and they're teams that they should be beating, but they weren't beating those teams in the early part of the season. So you just got to take steps. You're not going to get it all in one hit. We're beating the teams we should be beating. And we're starting to see a far more positive style of play so you love the comment when you talk about boston about your turn my turn type of play that they're rolling with the lakers were very much like that at the start of the year in terms of okay lebron you go and then anthony davis you go rush you go even mellow you go there was no fluency to their offense at all yeah they were scoring but they were scoring based on talent more so than good sets good ball movement good player movement the last four games you actually are seeing ball movement, player movement. It's not just isolation, high pick and roll isolation. There's actually ball movement from side to side, guys cutting, guys moving around. It's a far more fluent game. And we're actually starting to stop guys on the defensive side of the ball as well. So there's little things. Obviously, there's a long way to go to start competing with the Phoenixes and the Golden States and the teams high up in the West. But they're tracking in the right direction. Um, and the role guys are starting to feel comfortable. Um, you, you look at a guy like Malik Monk is obviously the standout. For me, he's the perfect fit in terms of, he reminds me a lot of what Mario Chalmers used to do in Miami. 
in terms of he's a guy that he plays very well off LeBron. You can start to see that they've had a lot of games together now that they're starting to know how each other play in the pick and roll, knowing when to move, when to cut, when to pop, things like that. He doesn't make mistakes. He's where he needs to be on defense. He's where he needs to be on offense. And then he makes timely shots. He's not going to give you 25 plus every single game, but he has that ability to do that when needed. So he, he, he can consistently give you 10 to 15. He can be a great defensive player and a great um, spot up three point shooter. So you always got that threat and he may come out. Like I always remember that 25 point game that Chalmers had in the 2012 finals. He's got the ability that there may be a playoff game where he comes out and gives you 25, 30 points and wins one game. And that's what you need from guys. And He's not afraid to take and make big shots as well. So for me, he's a great piece to have when if we can get Anthony Davis back healthy with LeBron James and hopefully Russell Westbrook, he's starting to take steps in the right direction as well in terms of slowing his game down. It's almost like they've had a conversation to say, look, we know how hard you play. We know the kind of heart you have. But this bullet brigade, every single possession is not working for us. We've got 30 to 35 games of evidence. It's, it's not working for you here in LA. Just dial it back for a few weeks. See how that goes for you. And you can see he's done it the last three games where he's picking and choosing when he goes full throttle. It's not full throttle every single time he gets it. So those bad, careless turnovers are starting to be cut down and he's starting to become a much more efficient and valuable player out there. So the things are looking up. There's still a long way to go, but I'm far more positive watching them the last four games than I was before we come into 2022. What are you? I, I know a lot of this. Um, I think they're on a four-game winning streak or thereabouts. Yes. Maybe, maybe four games. Four games, um, baby. <laughs> what do you think about LeBron at center? Because that has sort of come at the at the time that things have really. And I think I think he went to center. I think Malik's actually coming to the starting lineup. I believe yep. as part of that as well. Um, yeah, Malik has been ridiculous. Like he's been awesome, and he's a really good player to watch too when he's got it going. Like he's one of those dudes who's really fun. Fun to watch. Um, this this current thing to me looks good, but what happens when AD comes back and everything sort of shifts sort of back into place, if you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's obviously not sustainable having LeBron at the centre and we get dominated inside in certain periods of the game and on, on the glass. You know, we're, we're able to overcome it um, because you're playing small ball. So it's sort of, yeah, we're giving up there, that there, but then we're getting advantage on the other end. So it's certainly not a sustainable game plan, him playing centre. But what I think it's doing is, and Kendrick Perkins made a good point about this, is it's showing, okay, Anthony Davis, we know you don't want to play the five. I'm out here at 6'9", playing the five consistently and playing hard every game while you're hurt. What excuse do you have when you come back now? You know, this is about winning. It's not, I, I know you prefer to play the four and you prefer to play this pick and pop and not bang down low with the big bodies, but we're about winning. And for us to have the best chance at winning, we need you to play five. So if I'm out here willing to do it while you're hurt and keep our season on track and keep us in touch so that we're not fighting for a playing spot, then once you get back healthy, 
I don't want to hear any of this. I don't want to play the five. You play the five. That's what we need to give ourselves the best chance of winning. And that's that's what I think is going to be the benefit of what LeBron's doing at the moment. Because when you're playing, like we're lucky some of these teams we're playing don't have good big guys playing for them. But if we come up against a Jokic, he's, he'll have yeah. 50 and 15 in the first <laughs> half. So... Yeah, I think that's going to be the benefit from it. And I hope that Anthony Davis does that when he comes back because I think it, we can get him playing well and aggressive at the five. Then you've got that luxury of even playing LeBron at the four and then you can, you know, if we get none back and then you've got Malik Monk, Avery Bradley, these type of guys, Westbrook, you know, you've got, you know, so many more dangerous lineups you can play with a guy like Anthony Davis who can really take advantage of their opposition centre without giving up so much on the other end of the court because he's able to compete with the other centres in the league. Do you keep Malik Monk in the starting lineup when he comes back? All just depends on how how it's what the flow of it is. Um, I think if it if it's working, you do it. You know, we still haven't seen Kendrick Nunn. You know, yeah. I think we forget it. You know, he played really well in the bubble, especially uh, in in that playoff run. So I think we forget just how much talent he has. So it's going to be interesting what happens when he comes back. It depending on what happens with Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, we've got this open roster spot. What happens with that? Um, there's also talk that, you know, with LeBron playing centre now, DeAndre Jordan seems very expendable. Um, so there's potentially another roster spot that opens up. Um, so they're, they're all things that are going to come in come into play. But, um, yeah, I I hope that Russ can continue on this, this sort of trajectory that he's on where he starts to become a far more efficient player so that this talk that, you know, he's no good and he's all about stat padding and all this, I, I don't think it's fair for a guy that plays with that much heart and has given so much of himself throughout his career. Like he's never takes a game off. He always gives the fans 100% effort. It's now just, okay, controlled effort, controlled speed, you know, use your talents to the best of your ability, be under control and let you control your emotions. Don't let your emotions control you and get out of control. Yep. Yep. Do, do you, this is my view. Do you think that basically the, the, where the Lakers go from here will depend on just what Anthony Davis returns? And if he is willing to accept that we are at our best when I am playing the five. Because I feel like he's he's got in his head, I want to be a four, I want to be a four, I want to be a four. He's had his whole career. If he just flicks that switch and goes, we are better when I'm at the five, I've just got to suck it up and do it and be the Anthony Davis who everyone said was going to be a top five player. You know, Some even said was a top five player at one point in time. Is that what this all comes down to or is it some other mechanism? <laughs> I think so. in terms of them being a genuine contender, it is like what LeBron's doing now. And I think we, we, we forget and we underappreciate just what, the, like the last game he just had, he had four blocks, three steals, yeah, nine ridiculous. rebounds, eight assists, 32 points on better than 55% shooting. You know, it's ridiculous. 37 years old. It's just, it's unbelievable. And people are saying, well, can he sustain that? So, 
I'm in the boat that he's able to sustain that level of play, but it's gonna it's gonna get to a point. It's gonna be like the 2018 Cavs. He's gonna drag this team. He'll get them into the playoffs. He'll get them into either a, a fifth, sixth, or seventh seed, something like that. Could probably get them through a, a first round, maybe a second round, but they're not competing for a championship with that. For them to be a genuine contender in a conference finals, they need Anthony Davis and they need 95% of what Anthony Davis was in the bubble because that's what you're going to need when you come up against Phoenix, when you come up against Golden State, and then if you make your way into the into the finals, coming up against a Brooklyn, a Milwaukee, a Chicago, a Miami, you need that, that second superstar and Russ needs to be the third. Yeah. Um, so it boils down to their championship aspirations are a fully healthy Anthony Davis playing at a near MVP level. Um, speaking of the deadline we were talking about before and, and obviously um, the Lakers now and the asset pool, I guess, that they have and what they can actually do, um, a, a lot of the talk seems to be around the 2027 pick and um, THT. A little bit on Kendrick Nunn, but not a lot. Um, do you think that THT is on the Lakers post-deadline? I think he's he's certainly getting his currency up because he's playing better as each game goes on. Yeah. Um, it's it, it comes down, and, and LeBron will know as he understands the, the guys that work best with him. It's that that group of role players that you need. Like we always talk about the guys that are stars in their role and just go out there that don't miss defensive assignments, are always in the right spots on offense, make timely baskets when they need to. Is he that type of guy? Um, because they probably need, so they've got, they've got none sitting there. So hopefully he's going to be one of those guys. You've got Monk, Avery Bradley's playing better now. Um, so is THT sort of that fourth, fourth one that you need? If you're moving him on, who are you bringing in that's going to be of a better fit in that role? Because I don't think you're going to get another, you know, star or anything like no. that. So it's, you know, is it someone that's just a better fit or provides a role that THT can't? And that may be they look for someone that is potentially better on the defensive end of the floor, maybe a 3 and D type of guy. Um, for me, you know, and it's not going to happen because THT's got far more currency with the age that he is. Mellow for me is as much as the crowd loves him, you have to have such a short leash with him because yes, when he's on, he's great. He can go out there, he can give you 15 quick points in in 10 minutes on four shots. His defense is horrendous. So unless he's out there, unless he gives you six quick points in the first three, four minutes that he's on the floor, you need to yank him because he's given up two, four, six points every time he's in a one-on-one situation on the defensive side of the floor. So I think people get caught up and think, oh, it's mellow. You know, he's what top 10 scoring all time, this, that, and the other. Yeah, that's only working if he's scoring for us because when he's not scoring for us, all he's doing is giving up points on the other end. So I would much rather keep THT and get Mellow out. Yeah, I know that's not going to happen because who's going to take Mellow? Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I feel. So for me, Mellow, yeah, you've got to have a, such a short leash on him. Yeah, it, it, it's the, the, the offense has to greatly outweigh the defense for it to be worthwhile yeah. because 100%. you know the defense is a negative no matter what. So it's like, yeah. 
And as you say, because he's he's no longer consistent as he once was on the offensive end, it's now like, geez, if he's having one of those bad days offensively, we know what he's like on defense. We're getting a yeah. massive big black hole here with, with Melo on the court. Like we've got to get him off. That's right, because it just affects you so much. It, not just the points they score, but it interrupts if you're on a, if you're on a run and you just let them get an easy bucket, or you give up a cheap foul because you don't want to move your feet, and then that puts them in a penalty quicker in a quarter. Um, you know, there's all that flow on effect from not just being a bad defender, but how much it affects the momentum within the game as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, but I think there's been talk about DeMarcus Cousins coming in. I don't know if that's, um, you know, the only thing that I can think of in my head is they're thinking of Jokic um, in, in the playoff series. Big body, six fouls. That's right. <laughs> All that sort of because stuff. Yeah. his game just doesn't translate into today's game, unfortunately, no. after the injury. Um, he's never been the same. So that's that, that can be the only thing they think, well, we can throw him and Dwight at him for 20 minutes each. Um, and wearing down because you know I don't see any other reason why you would get cousins. So you know, I'm still hopeful that you know Eric Gordon finds his way over. Um, that would be a, a really nice pickup for me. The offense is I'm not concerned about that. If we're going to give up THT for someone, I want it to be someone that's more of a defensive specialist that brings more on that side of the floor, more so than someone else that can give you 10 or 15 points because. I think we can score enough. We've got enough talent and enough firepower on that side. We need to get better at stopping guys, and that's far more important come playoff time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Completely agree. I think I think the Lakers will be an interesting team too to watch, not just to the deadline, but also um, the buyout market because they've always been a. I mean, who wouldn't want to play for the NBA's biggest, you know, baby, um, in, in in the Lakers? Um, and so if the Lakers can continue what they're doing now and that's just showing even if it's slow um incremental progress if you're a guy who then goes in the buyer you're like hey actually i actually think there's something something going on here you know what i mean not just this is a nightmare i don't want to go there i'd rather go you know, to brooklyn or rather go jump on one of those you know ships where i could um get myself a ring because you know there's always going to be those handful of guys who end up in the buyout market and they you go to the top three teams in either conference and they're going to be in one of those six teams. That's, that's yes. it. They're not going to be anywhere else. They're going to be in one of those six. Um, so yeah, that'll be an interesting, interesting thing to watch as well. Well, I'm glad you're happier. I'm glad things are moving in the right yes. direction because it's no yeah, good watching a much better. frustrating team. It's, it's one of the worst things uh, that, you, that you can do when you're that passionate about it, that's for sure. Anything else from you before we finish this one off? It's just I think I think the NBA world is rejoicing over the news that Clay will be back tomorrow. Oh, yeah. it's one of those one of those stories. As as much as you're like, oh, gee, Golden State are already pretty good, and they bring Clay back, but I think the game is better when he's out there. So let's hope it's long and uh, fruitful career from here on out, um, because two years without him is, is a very long time. Certainly is. I saw this thing and it was like the last time he was on a court and it was like Kawhi was in Toronto and all these just, you know, those those weird things where you're like, wow, yes. that seemed like forever ago. I think CP3 was on the Rockets and I'm like, whoa, like, it feels like he hasn't been in the Rockets in ages. That's right. He's had two playoff runs with two different teams. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's crazy. So um, yeah, it's good to see him back. And um, oh, just quickly, what do you think of Kyrie's return? Yeah, well, he, we all know he can play basketball, don't we? Yeah, 
Yeah. How, how that works, I've still I don't know, but yeah, his his basketball ability is undoubted. But uh, yeah, and his they, leadership and that uh, not so much. Then they came um, back we'll and see lost. what happens as it gets closer to playoff time. Yeah, then they come back and lost the, the following game because he couldn't play because it was in Brooklyn. So the whole the whole lineup changes, doesn't it? I, I feel sorry for Paddy Mills because he's literally going from starter reserve starter res- like he's the guy who seems to be in that that role where he's just going to have to chop and change and that is tough thing to do. That is a yes. tough thing to do. And if he starts to have a shooting slump, they're going to be like, "Oh, what's wrong with Paddy Mills? He was shooting so well at the start. What's happened now?" Yeah. It's like, "Well, you've just changed his entire role. You know, you got no continuity. One game he's coming in and he's getting." 10 shots and then another game is playing 10 less minutes and getting five less shots. Yeah. And rhythm. I mean, look at Malik Monk since he's joined the starting lineup. Like rhythm is for some guys, rhythm is everything. So you you get your rhythm in whatever your role is. If you're constantly changing, that's tough to do. That's tough to do. Um, So there'll be, as always, we always got to keep an eye on Brooklyn and see what's going on, (laughs) going on there. But for now he's back playing road games, of course. So yes. We'll see what happens yeah. going forward. It's Eels. Yep. They might change the rules and he might be back full time or they might tighten the rules and he won't be back oh. at all. And there's already, I've already seen podcasts talking about does Brooklyn purposely not try to be a high seed so that they get in at more games in the playoffs. And it's just like, wow, you're playing with fire if you purposely start trying to find where you fit. Like, I just, nah, that's just, no. Nah. I think, you know, like the league would... Would I think they would step in? Not that they can do a lot, but if you started to it's see like point like, shaving, isn't it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, egregiously going from because because they, they are so far, like they're the second best team, like they're so they're twenty four and thirteen. If they go from him coming back being the second seed, and then they end up losing, you know, and they they have a record of you know they finish with thirty plus losses, you know, you start to sort of think, well you've got one of your best players back and then you ended up losing twice as many games. Yeah, it's not a good, it's not good for the brand. It's not good for the league. No. Nah. So, but nah. it, from a, from a coaching perspective, that would be the biggest benefit to be a oh. fifth seed yep. and not have home court advantage throughout the playoffs because you know, you're getting for four games. I guarantee in within Chicago somewhere, there's someone saying, hey, if we can get this, if we can get this this high seed, A, we've only got to hopefully play Brooklyn and or Milwaukee, not both of them within the within a playoff series, hopefully just one of them. Um, and B, we might be able to play Brooklyn without Kyrie for, you know what I mean? Like if we're if we try and match it up that way, you know what I mean? Like, so I guarantee other teams are thinking about where they might be able to get a benefit of it as well. Cause why wouldn't oh. you rather play a team with, you know, with one of their guys who can't play as many of the games? That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. If this continues the way it goes and he's still part-time come playoffs, what's going to happen come that playoff series and it goes, they get to game four and it's 2-1, he plays the away game and they win tied up 2-2. He then has to sit for game five because it's in Brooklyn. They lose that go down 3-2. He gets to play game six and they win to tie it up 3-3 and then he's sitting for game seven. So he's missed because we all know five game five when it's two two and game seven are the two most important playoff games you'll ever play in your life. 
Yep. And if he has to miss both of those in a playoff series and Brooklyn lose, what happens then? Yeah, mate. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow is all I can say. That would be massive. <laughs> like it would just, yeah, there'd be so much. It defeats the whole purpose of team sport. Like everyone's oh, yeah. teammate. It's like, this is what we do all the work for. This is why we train. This is why we start six weeks out for the season. It's why we play 82 games and travel all over the city. That's yep. why we put everything on the line. We sacrifice everything with our families. And for these moments, these game fives, these game sevens, and you're sitting out. Well, to, to finish this pod and come full circle to where we started it, maybe Kyrie and Novak Djokovic are good friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it there.